Psalms chapter 23 this morning. And I'd like to give you just a few simple thoughts. Now, I know what you're thinking. Preacher, what could you preach to us out of the 23rd Psalm? I will admit to you that after years of preaching and dozens of sermons on the 23rd Psalm, that I am still intimidated when I come to this passage of Scripture for the very reason that we mentioned a moment ago. What could be said that hasn't already been said. And I'm encouraged about what the Lord said about scribes. He said it's their job to pull out of the treasury things both old and new. And so some of the things I say to you this morning, I hope will be some things that maybe you've not heard that will encourage you. But even if you have heard them, I hope and trust and pray that the Word of God will do its effectual work in your heart as well. Psalms 23, and we're going to read the entirety of the psalm. It's just six verses. Most people in this room could probably quote it if they were asked to. But David writing says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray and ask God to do a work in our midst this morning. Father, I love you. I thank you for this privileged opportunity. Lord, let us not take it lightly, but let us understand that we're not here by accident, but by providence. Lord, that you have a message for us this morning, that you have a truth for us this morning. And I pray that each and every person here today, and Lord, I'm not asking them, I'm asking you that, Father, each and every one of them would have their heart open to your Word. Lord, that they'd hear and receive the Word, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, when we preach the truth of the Word of God. And, Father, that we would do business with you today. Thank you for being our shepherd, Lord. Thank you for being a chief shepherd and a glorious shepherd and a good shepherd. Help us, Father, to be the sheep of your pastor today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we read the 23rd Psalm, it is not lost on anybody, I don't believe, that the Lord is the focal point of this psalm. In fact, it begins with the Lord's name. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. And it ends by invoking the Lord's name. The psalmist says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was a shepherd. He understood the relationship between shepherds and sheep. He understood that the sheep was given no natural defense mechanism, but that it had to have the shepherd to survive. And it leaned and depended wholly upon that shepherd. I saw something today that stirred my heart. You know, uh, the wolf isn't afraid of the sheep. Amen? He's afraid of the shepherd. If we'll stay close to the shepherd, we'll be all right. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, too often we think the wolf is afraid of the sheep, but that's not the case. It's, uh, he fears the shepherd. And as we read this psalm, and I, you know, when the Lord placed this on my heart, and there's times as a preacher that when the Lord gives you a message, you'll say, all right, Lord, but are you sure? And uh, as I was studying this psalm, I, I thought to myself, what could we say that hasn't been said? What could we preach that hasn't been preached? And there was a thought that occurred to me, and I hope to preach on this thought today, that we are the sheep of His pasture. Now, here's the question I want you to ask yourself today. What kind of sheep 
am I? When we come to the 23rd Psalm, we always examine what kind of shepherd he is. Let me say this morning, I'm thankful he is a good shepherd. I'm thankful he is the chief shepherd. I'm thankful he's the shepherd that giveth his life for the sheep. And I'm thankful today that he's not only the shepherd, uh, but he's the door of the sheepfold. Uh, And uh, if any man enter in by him, he'll go in and out and find pasture. I'm glad for the kind of shepherd he is today. But you know, the problem today in the shepherd-sheep relationship of most believers, the problem is never the shepherd, but the problem is what kind of sheep we are. You know, when I read this psalm, of course we can be encouraged at what kind of shepherd he is, but I think if we read what David says here, we'll get an idea of what kind of sheep we're supposed to be. You know, the sheep is only safe when he's following the shepherd. And the truth is, our life will only have meaning and value and purpose and be powerful and effective for the cause of Christ inasmuch as we stay close to the shepherd. I want you to consider a few thoughts with me, but before we do, listen to what the psalmist says in the uh, 100th Psalm, verse 3. He says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of his pasture. So the believer is the sheep. The Lord is the shepherd. I want to give you a few thoughts, and this is the kind of sheep that I want to be for my shepherd. Look at verse number one, the very first phrase. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Let me say number one today, I want to be a confessing sheep. Say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, I want to be the kind of sheep that's proud of his shepherd. You know, there's never been anything the Lord's ever done that we have any cause to be ashamed of. There's never a single moment of our lives where He has let us down. The very fact that you and I as His sheep sit here today is a sign and an indicator of His providence and His goodness. I'm telling you today that we as Bible-believing Christians, we have no right, we have no cause, we have no liberty to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He's never done anything to make us ashamed. And I see two things that the shepherd does in confessing, or the sheep does in confessing the shepherd. Number one, he confesses him to identify him. You know, when we read what the Lord, or what David says here, when he says the Lord, you understand, that's all capital. Uh, That's the Hebrew name Jehovah. And when we read the Scriptures so often, I'll just be honest with you, we read it having been inundated with Christianity in our culture. And when you say God, people think of the Christian God. When you say the Lord, people think of the Christian Lord. And I think that's a good thing. I don't want to see that change in our society. Amen? I want it to be that we maintain a Christian culture. But let us never forget that when David says the Lord, he's not just talking about a big man in the sky. He's not just talking about some generic God figure. He's not just talking about a creator, but he is talking about the very God of Israel, the one that by his high and mighty hand had led them out of Egypt, the one whose death angel had slain all the firstborn in that land, the one who went with them in the wilderness as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, the one that separated the Red Sea and brought him over on dry land, the one that threw down the walls of Jericho, the one that would slay the Assyrians. He's not talking about any God. He's talking about a very specific God when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Let me say that I want to be the type of sheep that is never afraid to identify who my shepherd is. 
Now listen, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, I'm not mad at you. I don't hate you. I don't resent you. I have no bitterness towards you. I pity you because you're missing out on the only true God and the greatest shepherd that ever walked the earth. You're missing out on the way, the truth, and the life. And listen, I'm not mad at you, but I am very proud and glad to belong to His sheepfold. He is my shepherd. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed to say that. Like I said, I got no chip on my shoulder. I'm not mad at those that aren't. But I'm sure proud that He loved me, that He saved me, that He belongs to me, and I belong to Him. And we as Bible believers, let us never lose the uh, the encouragement and the pride that we have uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not proud in ourselves, but pride in Him. I'll tell you something very quickly. Our culture is adjusting itself to such a degree as to shame Bible believers away from acknowledging and owning the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, even Brother Ted was talking on Wednesday night, said he uh, gave a tract to a girl at a gas station, said she looked at him and said, that's personal. Uh, no, ma'am, excuse me, it's not personal. Uh, it, it may be personal in the sense that we all have our own distinct relationship with God. I'm aware of that. But it's not a private matter to ask someone if they go to church or if they know the Lord. Uh, we still have the liberty. We still have the protected right. And even if we didn't, we have the God-given right to talk to people about where they're going when they die. Now, let us never be ugly or rude or mean, but let us never, by the same token, be ashamed to say the Lord is my shepherd and He can be your shepherd too. He loves you. He died for you. He paid the price for you. And if you'll only come to Him, He'll in no wise cast you out. We ought to confess Him to identify Him, but then I think we ought to confess Him to glorify Him. Because David doesn't just say the Lord is my shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. What is he saying there? He's saying He has kept the watch care over me. He is testifying of God's gracious providential protection in his life. And let me say that we ought to be the kind of sheep that talk often to the shepherd. We ought to be the kind of sheep that uh, whenever we get any opportunity, uh, not, not to boast in ourselves. Hey, listen, uh, the, the Bible says God saved us in such a way that no flesh could glory in His presence. Not that we boast in ourselves, but that we boast in who He is and what He has done and how He has provided and how He has protected. You see, the sheep had nothing to brag about except the shepherd. But if he had a shepherd like God is our shepherd, he had everything to boast about. We ought to be very plain spoken in who it is that watches over us and cares for us. I think this is probably the most neglected avenue of witness in the modern church today. We're, listen, we're all too ready to get into a theological argument. Don't, don't misunderstand me now. We ought to stand on the truth of the Word of God. Truth is truth. There is right. There is wrong. Uh, there is a way. There is a way that's not a way. Amen? We ought to be bold to stand upon that. But do you understand that all throughout the ages, hey, listen, the greatest tool that Bible believers have always had in communicating the goodness and the graciousness of God has been the goodness and graciousness of God in their own life. We ought to talk often about how good God is to us. I don't know if you realize this, but this world's broken in two. It's hurting. It's weeping. It's burning. And we need to be bold to say, hey, I've got an answer for you. He's been good to me. He'll be good to you. 
He'll do for me. Hey, listen, the Lord's no respecter of persons. God didn't look down like He's picking out a baseball team, but He extended a call to whosoever will to be saved. Uh, He said uh, that any that would come unto Him, He'd in no wise cast out. And we ought to be bold to say, Hey, listen, i got the best shepherd in the world, but this shepherd, he's looking for new sheep every single day. He's crossing the rivers. He's going in the valleys. He's laboring to try to reach them. He's calling them out. And He's calling your name today if you'll come unto Him. We ought to glorify His goodness, man. We ought to talk about what God's done in our lives. We ought to be bold to say, first off, that God saved me. Why are we so afraid to say I'll tell you why, because we think of it like we're picking out a political party. And that's part of our problem. Hey, don't get quiet on me today. We say it like we're picking out a political party. Well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I mean, I was just raised that way. It ain't my fault, you know. God help us. We ought to be bold. Hey, listen, this ain't just picking out one of many. This is, we have found Christ. He has found us. We ought to be bold to say, He took me. He changed me. He saved me. He redeemed me. He justified me. He uplifted me out of the pit of my despair. We ought to tell people. Then we ought to tell people about how, and by the way, that's what the shepherd does, right? He gets the sheep from the time of its birth and watches over it, and he never ceases to watch over it. And that's what the shepherd's done for you and I. Day by day, He's watched over us. I was thinking about it the other night. Brother Jim talked about it when we was driving home from the youth. It wasn't all that scary. I mean, it wasn't all that. But we lost two or three kids, but we're pretty sure they found their way home. One of them was hitching a ride over on I-40, so uh, I'm pretty sure they got picked up. But, uh, you know, when when, uh, we were driving home the other night, I was thinking, man, you know, God watches over us every day. Uh, Listen, why does someone else slide off the road and I don't? Why does someone else cross the center line and I don't? It ain't because I'm good. And uh, you can ask my wife how good of a driver I am. Amen. It's not any doing of my own. And it's not that God loves me and doesn't love them. But it's to say this, that any time that I'm protected, it's because God loves me. And God loves you and He's watching over you. We ought to be uh, a confessing sheep. But then let me give you a second thing. We ought to be a content sheep. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he says this, I shall not want. Now, I think there's two ideas behind this. Let me say number one, David was saying, I'm satisfied with his provision. He was saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I am guaranteed that he will meet my needs. Now, you're not guaranteed he's going to give you everything you want. You're not guaranteed that you're going to be more flushed than the guy sitting next to you. You're not guaranteed that you're going to be at the pinnacle and axiom of wealth while someone else will be in poverty. But here's what you are guaranteed, that he will meet your very basic needs. David would say later on, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. You see, it's the shepherd's responsibility to find pasture, not the sheep's. The sheep's responsibility is to eat once he brings them to pasture. But it's the shepherd's responsibility to find pasture. You say, preacher, how can our Lord find pasture for us? Well, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? He owns all the land. And you say, preacher, well, that's silly. No, it conveys this truth that God is limitless and boundless in the resources of his provision. We can have confidence. But then I think there's another understanding here. I think there is both the understanding that because the Lord is His shepherd, He is confident that He'll be satisfied with His provision. But I think then, too, there is a deliberate act of will here that is taking place. And I think this is what David's saying, too. The Lord is my shepherd, and in light of that, I shall not want. I think what he's saying is this. As long as I have the shepherd, 
I'm satisfied. What could a sheep want other than a shepherd and the things that come with the shepherd? Uh, listen, I, you see this all the time. Somebody's about to get mad at me when I say this, but you see people dressing their pets up all the time. You ever see this? Now, let me tell you something, and you can feel however you want to, but I'll tell you this. If I was a dog and you tried to put a sweater on me, I'd bite you. I'll tell you this right now. If you come try to wrestle me down and put a sweater on me now, I might bite you. The sheep doesn't even need the sweater. He's the one that's making the sweater. Amen? He's got the warmth. He's got everything. When he has the shepherd, he has all that he needs. And I think what he's saying is, not only am I satisfied with his provision, I'm satisfied with his person. You know, I want to be the type of sheep that's just happy that I belong to the right shepherd. And God's been so good to me. Hey, listen, God's blessed me with more stuff than any human being could ever need. And you're probably the same way. You ever walk through your house and just look all at all your junk? Just stuff, you know? And then think about people in this world that are scrabbling and, and are scraping for just the very basic needs of life. And we have so much stuff, we have to buy bigger houses and build barns to put it all in. And I never want to be the kind of sheep that's only satisfied when the shepherd's giving him stuff. I want to be the kind of sheep that's satisfied just because I have him. Listen, he's blessed me more than you could ever imagine, but that's not the reason I'm blessed. I'm not blessed because of the things that I have. I'm not blessed because of the uh, things I get to do. I'm blessed if for no other reason I am blessed simply because Christ is my Savior, because God is my Lord, because heaven is my home, because uh, redemption is mine full and free and paid for at the cross of Calvary. Just Him is enough. Let me never complain. I don't ever want to be a complaining sheep. I want to be a content sheep. And then let me say number three, I want to be a cooperative sheep. Notice what he says in verse number two. He says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Now here's what I draw from that. I'm thankful He knows when to make me uh, lie down. I'm thankful He knows where to lead me. But you know, one thing I've learned about people is that you can't make anyone do anything that they're not willing to do. This sheep would have never laid down except he allowed the shepherd to make him lay down. This sheep would have never been led unless he was willing to be led. You know a lot of our problem? We spend all of our prayer time asking God to leave us, and then we spend all of our practical time trying to lead ourselves. We spend all of our prayer time saying, Lord, lead me, guide me, lead me, direct me. But then when it's time to make a decision, we don't consult with the Lord. When it's time to make a decision, we just uh, figure whatever we want to do and go ahead and do it on anyway. Uh, We don't allow Him to lead us. I see two things that make me want to be cooperative here. I want to be cooperative when He governs me. The Bible says He maketh me lie down. Oh, my, let me tell you something. When you don't want to sit still, and you have to sit still, I remember this from being a little kid. It's funny, you know. Uh, t- today, I give you $100 to take a nap. Amen? But when you're young and you have to lay down and rest, I remember, I remember my mama saying to me, well, just lay down. And she'd say this. I'd say, Mama, I can't sleep. And she'd say, well, just lay real still. Eventually, sure enough, I'd fall asleep. I needed sleep, but I didn't want sleep. And you know what I had to do? I had to trust my mother over myself. You know what we need in our lives? We need to trust God when He seeks to govern us. Hey, there's going to be times God's going to make you lay down in green pastures. 
And a dumb old sheep won't know when to lay down when it's good for him. I know I don't. There he is standing in green pastures and he wants to move on. But you know what the difference is? You've heard this before when people have said the grass is greener on the other side. The shepherd knows where the good pasture is. You might look down and want to leave and squirm and run for something else, but he knows where the best pasture is. And so sometimes he has to make you lay down in order to do what's best for you. But you have to be willing to. You have to be willing to say, all right, Lord, this is not what I want. It's not what I desire. It's not what I ask for, but it's what you've given me. And in light of that, I'm going to trust that you know better than I know, and I'm going to let you govern me. Not only when he governs us, we need to be cooperative when he guides us. He says he leadeth me beside the still waters. Uh, we've all heard this, and I'm sure you have heard it preached, but I'll share it with you again, how that one of the most treacherous events in a sheep's life is when it goes down to the water to drink. And if there's any rushing or moving water, oftentimes the sheep will be carried away and swept away, and it's the shepherd's responsibility to find a place where the water is slow enough that the sheep can uh, reach down and get him something to drink without being swept away. The sheep doesn't know what's dangerous, but the shepherd does. And for that very reason, the sheep, his primary and singular role... Hey, listen, you don't, there ain't no pack leaders in a flock of sheep. There's no alphas in a flock of sheep. There, uh, you see sometimes when you watch these documentaries, they'll have wolf packs. Whenever we went out west, we went into Lamar Valley there in Yellowstone. If you've seen the PBS documentaries on those wolf packs, they studied them for years. They were the, the, there was the Druid uh, pack and the Lamar pack, and they're both in that same area. And they would show these wolves, and there'd be an alpha, and there'd be a beta, and there would be a leader. And uh, whenever one would get old, a lot of times they'd turn around and eat it. Amen. Aren't you glad we don't do that today? And uh, But there was a hierarchy, but there ain't no hierarchy in the flock. There's just the shepherd and the sheep. Just the shepherd and the sheep. And where the shepherd leads, the sheep are to follow. At the end of the day, hey, listen, that's part of the reason I believe in the autonomy of the local church. I believe that God has set forth pastors to be an under-shepherd, but that pastor is not to uh, lead the flock by lording over the flock, but he's to be an ensample under the flock. You know why that is? Because at the end of the day, there ain't no hierarchy in the local church. There's just the shepherd and the sheep. Just the Lord and everybody else. And I don't believe we ought to institute human institutions to be a hierarchy to get in there. Because, you know, the only other thing you can be, if you ain't a shepherd and you ain't a sheep, the only other thing to be is a hireling. And so there's only room for the shepherd and the sheep. And you know what that means? That means it's your responsibility and my responsibility to follow the leading of the Lord. He knows what's best. He knows where it's safe. I want to be a cooperative sheep. But then let me say, I want to be a communing sheep. Look at verse 3. David says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now something's changed here. David has been keeping steadily to the analogy of a shepherd and a sheep, but now he brings spiritual truths into this. All of the things that were said in the first two verses could relate distinctly, literally, to a relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. But then he acknowledges that the relationship between the Lord as a shepherd and us as sheep is a little deeper than just that between a shepherd, a physical shepherd, a literal shepherd, and literal sheep. And what he says is this, I want to be the type of person that stays close to the shepherd. Close. There is safety by his side. And there is peace in his presence. He says this, he restoreth my soul. 
Now, again, this isn't something a literal sheep would do. But you and I as believers, in our relationship mirroring, mirroring that of shepherd and sheep, we ought to go to the Lord for restoration. You can't restore someone that don't want to be restored. Let me say this. As a pastor, you can't restore someone that don't want to be restored. There's times occasionally people come to me and they'll say, Hey, preacher, what happened to so-and-so? And most of the time, I, listen, unless I have to talk about it, I don't talk about it. You know why? Listen, I ain't trying to shield or protect or cover up. I just want to leave as open a door as possible for those folks to come back. And if you run around running your mouth about everything that, that went on and that happened, then they might come in the door and somebody say something nasty and them say, well, it's a bunch of gossips, turn around and leave, live their life backslidden and try to blame it on the church. And so, uh, you know, it's just best not talk about it unless you have to talk about it. People ask me, preacher, what happened to so-and-so? And the truth is, sometimes people leave for the right reasons and okay reasons and they leave in the right way. But our church is like any other. There's been folks leaving the wrong way. And most of the time, hey, listen, I've learned you can't restore people that don't want to be restored. You can try to befriend them. You can try to be sweet to them. You can certainly pray for them and try to be a witness to them. But if they don't want in, they won't be in. And this is no different in our spiritual relationship with God. This sheep couldn't be restored unless the sheep wanted to be restored. And you and I, listen, if we're going to have a close relationship, a communing relationship with the shepherd, we have to seek restoration. When we mess up, we have to come to Him. We have to say, Lord, I messed up. I sinned. I did wrong. We have to confess our sin because uh, if we'll confess our sin, John said, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He didn't say whether or not we confess our sin. He said if we confess our sin. It's not talking about confessing to a human priest. There's no pattern anywhere in the, in the Word of God uh, for the confession of our sins to another human being, not nary one time. You know why that is? Because God knew it wouldn't do nobody any good because uh, who can forgive sins on earth except God? So there ain't no sense in it. There ain't no use in it. Uh, listen, I, I don't want you confessing your sins to me. In fact, I try to know as little as possible. Amen? The only thing the Bible says is to confess your faults one to another. And certainly we ought to confess our faults. That's like saying, well, you know, sometimes I let my tongue get away from me. I say things I shouldn't. Or sometimes I have a tendency uh, to be unfaithful and to be backslidden. Or sometimes I have a tendency to lay out of the house of God. And so you look at somebody and say, hey, help me stay accountable. Help me stay accountable. But never we commanded to confess our sins one to another. But we are commanded to confess our sins to God. We have to seek restoration if we want restoration. And the sheep couldn't be restored unless he was willing to be restored. We ought to seek restoration. Then let me say number two, we ought to seek righteousness. He says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. By the way, you notice the way he says that? It's distinct. He says, the paths of righteousness. Not every path is a path of righteousness. But there are paths that are paths of righteousness. Preacher, how can I know those? He'll lead you in them. Preacher, how will he lead me in him? Well, first you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't even have a relationship with the shepherd until you believed on Christ and received him and been born again and saved by his grace. And once you've been born again and saved, then the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. Uh, that's what Christ said in the book of John. He said, I'll leave another comforter with you. He said, he'll be with you forever. He'll be in you. And he indwells us and then he leads us and he guides us in those paths of righteousness. But we have to be willing to follow we have to seek after righteousness. 
Uh, God doesn't make us righteous whether we like it or not. Listen, if you want to get born again and then stay out of church and never read your Bible, never pray, never grow and live as carnal as you want to be, that's your prerogative to do so. You'll be a miserable failure as a Christian. You'll get to heaven because we get to heaven by grace and not by works. But when you get there, you'll be ashamed of the life that you've lived. Nobody can make you live right, but God's willing to lead you in paths of righteousness. For His name's sake. I want to be a communing sheep. But then let me say this. I want to be a confident sheep. Verse number 4, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Now this is perspective. He's not saying I'm right now walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I've heard a lot of commentators talk about, well, what that valley was, how it was uh, on the southern end of of, uh, Jerusalem, and it was a literal valley. And I'm sure that's probably all true. But what he's saying is this. If that day should ever come, that was as worse a thing as he could possibly think of. If I should ever walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He was a confident sheep. This wasn't a doubting sheep. This was a confident sheep. He was confident, number one, in the path of the shepherd. He says, wherever you lead me, I'll fear no evil. You know why? For thou art with me. The shepherd doesn't send, he leads. Uh, He calls unto the sheep, listen now, and they follow his voice. Uh, he doesn't, the shepherd never sends them out. The shepherd goes out in front of them. And so David says, no matter what I go through in life, I will fear no evil. You know why? Because you're my shepherd. And if you're my shepherd, you're leading me. And if you're leading me, you're going through it with me. And if you're going through it with me, then thou art with me. God never asks for us to go through anything alone. In fact, he went to such a, a degree to convey this to us that he says in Hebrews chapter number 12, or chapter number 13, he says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, for as much as is written, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes to a big, long laundry list of height, nor death, nor sword, nor famine. He said that none of these things shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord in Romans 8. He'll never lead us, or never leave us. He'll always lead us, but He'll never leave us. And because of that, we ought to be confident in the path He's chosen for us. Hey, it ain't always easy. When the darkness sets in, when trials come, I'm human just like you're human. I bet that sheep, I bet they get skittish and nervous just the same, but they don't bolt. You know why? Because the shepherd's still leading. Hey, don't bolt. Just keep following the shepherd. Be confident in his path. And then, not only is he confident in his path, but he's confident in the peace that he can give. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. There's no storm so big but what God is able to give peace to his children in the midst of it. Now, I don't say this to make folks that are nervous or scared or fearful or troubled by the trials they're going through. I don't say it to make you feel bad. I say it to encourage you to seek the peace of God in the midst of that. Hey, listen, if he can walk out in the midst of the storm and lift his hand and calm the raging waves, you don't think he can calm your spirit and mind and heart? He gives a peace that passeth all understanding. He gives a joy that no man shall take. Uh, He gives a a, a peace and a faith that overcomes the world. Uh, The shepherd, you know what he says? He says, I'm not going to be afraid because I know your rod and your staff, they're with me and they comfort me. They give me peace when nothing else can. He's confident in his peace. And then notice he's confident in his protection. He says this, verse 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now again, we, we've almost sort of moved beyond the shepherd analogy. 
But he's still describing the shepherdly qualities of God in his life. And he says this, You make a table in the midst of all of my enemies where I can sit down and feast and dine and sit and recline and relax. There was not a much more vulnerable position that an Oriental individual, that a Middle Eastern man could have been in than he was in when he was eating. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it, but they literally reclined backwards upon couches. They were at their most vulnerable and disarmed when they were eating. And this is the reason that it was a symbol of trust and of of friendship for them to break bread with one another. Because they were allowing someone into their house and they were laying backwards, reclining on a couch, completely disarmed and unable to protect themselves. And what David's saying here is he's saying, listen, even in the midst of my enemies, you give me a peace that allows me to recline and rest and find resource and respite in the midst of danger. He's confident in the shepherd's protection. Uh, We find David as being a good example of the protective shepherd. We see it in the Old Testament when he slew the bear and he slew the lion and then later on he slew the giant. It reminds me of this, that there's nothing but what God is able to have His protective hand upon us. And we ought to be confident in that. Now this, I'll, I'll be honest with you, everybody was amen in a second ago, ain't nobody amen in now. You know, part of the reason for that uh, is you're tired and you're thinking about Shoney's. And another part of the reason for that is because we don't live in a day where we face a lot of bodily danger. Amen? Uh, we, we just don't, you know? Uh, but understand that there is danger present all around us, but even beyond that ever-present danger, we are increasingly coming towards a time where we may be facing danger for claiming the name of Christ. Hey, listen, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just a biblicist. The Bible says that in the, uh, in, in the latter days that perilous times would come. And the Bible says there would come a day when those that slay us would think they do God a service. I don't say that to make you nervous. I just say that to remind you that He can protect you in those times. Then let me give you one more thing and I'm done with my introduction. I want to be a conscious sheep. Look what he says at the end of verse 5. He says, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is acknowledging three things about how God meets his needs. And I want to say this, I want to be the kind of sheep that is ever aware of God's goodness in my life. I don't just want to talk about the generic goodness of God. I want to be aware of the specific goodness of God in my life. And I see three things he mentions. Number one, he mentions the provision of the shepherd. He says, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Now, it's not lost on me the implications of of anointing and David's kingly authority and so on and so forth. But in the Word of God, oil was often a picture of fatness and wealth and provision. And I think one of the things that we ought to say just for a moment right here is this. I want to always be conscious of who it is that meets my needs. God uses a lot of things to meet my needs. God uses a lot of people along the way. But at the end of the day, it's God that's doing it. And we ought to be grateful for those people and avenues that God... Hey, listen, you got a good job. You ought to be thankful for that good job. But don't ever forget that it's God that gave you the job. Somebody takes care of you and provides for you, meets your needs. You ought to thank them. You ought to be gracious and grateful towards them. But don't ever forget that it's God that put them in your life. And He's using them to meet your needs. Hey, listen, God can use ravens to drop pieces of meat from the sky for His prophet when He wants to. 
and you don't thank the, or you, you don't you don't praise the raven. <laughs> you praise the God of creation that sent him. We don't find uh, Elijah saying, "Boy, I'm thankful for these ravens." I'm sure he was, but he acknowledged who it was that sent them with the meat of provision. He's conscious of the provision of God. Let me say number two, he's conscious of the providence of God. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He doesn't say they'll go in front of me. You know why? Because what's in front of him? The shepherd's in front of him. But he says, I can look back in my life and I can see the goodness of God and the mercy of God at every turn. That's another way of saying I can see God's providential hand in my life. You know, man, I can look back at things that God orchestrated in my life that I I, I would never have and could never have planned. I wouldn't have known what to do. I wouldn't have known how to bring it about. But I look back and there's old goodness and mercy just following right behind. And the goodness and mercy of God has met so many needs in my life that in the moment I wasn't even aware of. But I look backwards now and see clearly that God had a hand in it. Things I would have never chosen. I want to always be conscious of God's goodness and mercy and providence in my life. And then finally, I always want to be conscious of the promise of the shepherd. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, the shepherd looked at it, or the sheep looked at it, and he said, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what happens, the shepherd has promised to take me safely back to the fold. I don't know what's coming in your life. I don't know what you'll go through. But I do know this, that if you are saved by God's grace, then heaven is your home, the presence of God is your destiny, and the bliss of eternal worship is on the schedule. He says, I'll go to dwell all this. You know, the old-timers used to say it this way, all this in heaven too. All this that God has done, that I could walk through this world with God as my shepherd, with Jesus as my Savior, with God meeting every need that I could ever have, all this, and I'll go to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me always be conscious in the midst of it. And let me say it especially to young people. Old people think a lot about heaven. I don't know why that is. That's strange, isn't it? But old, old people think a lot about heaven. Young people don't think about it as much. I've been forced to think about it. I'll be honest with you. Uh, when you pastor, you bury a lot of people, you counsel a lot, you meet with a lot of people who are dealing with death and sickness, and, and, and you think about it a lot. And let me say that even as a younger man, uh, it's an encouragement and it's a strengthening resource to remember the promise of heaven. Let us never forget how this thing ends if we know the Lord as our Savior. And if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, if you don't know God as your shepherd, don't leave here today ere you've bowed your knee before Him, confessed yourself a sinner. Hey, quit trying to go on your own. Sheep never make it on their own. Bring yourself under the watch care of the shepherd. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I know Jesus died for my sins. And I trust Him completely to save me and forgive me. And Lord, forgive me of my sins. You don't have to say it the way I just said it, but you have to speak from your heart that sentiment and come to the Lord today and let Him be your shepherd.